And you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I'm okay, man. Um, it's starting to become nice weather here in um, the little corner of uh, the world that I live in. And um, that's really very uh, refreshing. It's, it's nice to step outside, even though I like spend my whole day at the computer working. And so like when I step outside, it's more like, oh, remember when I used to be able to enjoy this kind of thing? And wanted to and wasn't afraid of the outside and all sorts of shit but um yesterday i played a show at um the house of vans played an acoustic like live cast thing yeah how was it it was good except for like so i i take my guitar to like be serviced at this little shop in my neighborhood it's like one of the dads from my kids old school uh-huh um it's his shop and I got it done before, like, my last big... Oh, before maybe it was War on Christmas? No, something else. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Before some live stream, they're all the same. I mean, it's just me in a basement, you know? Right. Um, but this one, I actually went down to the House of Vans and played on the stage. And um, it's only the second time I've plugged in this guitar since I got it fixed. And about 15 seconds in, it shit out on me. Well, goddamn. And, and then, of course, I took it in and it worked just fine. Uh-huh. You know, I, I went in ready to just like, you know, just ready to pitch a fit or whatever. And it was like, oh, it seems to work. And he's like, the battery's a little low. And I was like, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> like, really? Okay. Just rubbing your face in it. Yeah. So I guess, you know, on one hand, I'm doing well. On the other hand, life is a series of embarrassments that culminate ultimately in death of either you or your loved ones. Um, or, both. I mean, obviously both, but, you know. If you die first, you don't have to watch all your loved ones die. Oh, yeah, that's the goal. Let yeah. me out. Yeah, one time we were riding on the last uh, Lawrence Arms tour, and it's probably because we were on tour with Bad Religion. You start to think about this kind of stuff, and I was like, whoa, man, somebody in this van is going to go to everybody else in this van's funeral. <laughs> well i think the question on everybody's mind is what am i gonna do with those funerals no No, are you gonna are you gonna be buried with those glasses on now do you want people to remember you as uh as your former self before you became a four-eyed dork uh well you know the funny thing is can't really figure out when to wear the glasses because these are just readers right now. I'm still waiting on my like glasses, glasses. Uh huh. And my eyes are apparently good, but the doctor said the one eye is still 2020 and the other one is 2025, so it's one click off. But because of the recent change, they can't figure out how to match up. Mm-hmm. So it's like the whole thing is really mild, but it's just like I just can't see. <laughs> you know, I could I could see that there's small, very small things that I guess people that really can't see can't see. But like, I just can't like read stuff. But like right now, I was like wearing the glasses while we were doing this, and I'm like, 
I don't need to read Tim's face, and like my eyes are starting to hurt, so I took them off. I have a tendency I, I just, to do that. I don't. Um, I don't know glasses. I don't know how to, how to do glasses at all. So the whole thing is a real comedy of errors, and it makes everybody that's. And, you know, since I'm 44, it's like almost everybody my age has readers at least, mm-hmm. if not like full-on glasses, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like the last person. And, oh, do people get joy out of watching me not understand glasses? <laughs> like, no, nobody. Like, good heavens, people love it. <laughs> Did you really just use your hat to wipe your glasses? <laughs> no, no, no. Heavens, no. Uh no, no, You'll, take them off before you go into the shower, please. Yeah, you, you... No, you take your glasses so you can look at your phone in the menu <laughs> when you go meet Toby for a business lunch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I figured I could just probably muscle through and be like, I'm going to get the wings like I always do. I don't, <laughs> 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 but, but, you know... Uh, no, it's a, it's a real joy for everybody, but yeah, I can't wait to see if the other ones like kind of settle my hash a little cause man, if I'm even just sitting at the computer reading or typing and I get up and just like go to get something to drink or something, by the time I get back, I'm like, Oh, what did I do? I should have <laughs> taken those off for that. <laughs> well, I, d- I did enjoy listening to you and Matt Marty talk shit on the, uh, state in which I reside Indiana, of course, I'm talking about They Come to America, the podcast. Yes, um, it's a podcast about all 50 states. If you've listened to this podcast regularly, you've heard us talk about it a little bit. Hosted by Matt Marty, I am his assistant, and we have guests on. We discuss one of the 50 states each week, and it's just fun and conversational. And it's, um, it's more like about if the... You know, like, you got really drunk and, like, ran your balls across a Starbucks picture window, uh, you know, in Oregon. Then it's about, like, you know, the Lewis and Clark's excursions. (laughs) So it's just a a fun time, wherever you get podcasts. And this most recent one, Indiana, was very good. We had my old friend Mike Jerome on. He was the manager of the subway where Jared went to get skinny and... He had some good tales to tell. Incredible. Probably my favorite episode of that podcast so far. Uh, Thank you, Tim. I had Mikey Erg on uh, last week's Better Yet. This week was Matt Schimelfenegg of Three Man Cannon. And he also plays in Gladdy with our friend Augusta Koch. Oh, nice. So we've got a Patreon for this podcast. It's patreon.com slash better sandwich and we had a very fun conversation between mostly brendan and brian moss of hanalei the ghost great apes the wonder years the old wonder years the wonder years of the you you heard some old old ass lawrence arms tour stories yeah man uh that was like that was our first proper tour i believe well the way Brian remembers it, which is probably a lot more accurate, we were touring with Lane Meyer. We had done a little bit of touring with Lane Meyer, and then they jumped on at a certain point, which makes sense because, yeah, I remember them kind of being like the new kids on the tour a little bit. 
Um, but I don't know. Maybe we had, I don't, I don't, it's so hard for me to remember that shit. I mean, it was like 22 years ago and I think I might've been drinking for those <laughs> 22 years. <laughs> uh, brand new Hanalei record out today. When you're hearing this, it is out. It's called Black Snow. First Hanalei record in like 10 years. Very, very good. I bet it is. Brian's awesome at what he does. Also, fucking dropped that PTA demo yesterday. Oh, There you go. There you go. It is uh, almost exactly what you think it would sound like. (laughs) (laughs) And more. And more also. But we are here to talk about God don't make trash or up your ass with broken glass. Last week we got into kind of the uh, how, the, the the beforehand, the prologue. Now we're gonna get straight into the tracks. Brennan, are you ready? Oh my God, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, God don't make trash was released on October fourteenth, two thousand. And four, very first uh, release from Red Scare Industries. And the thing that we're going to talk about on every one of these songs and the title is that we've got two titles. Yeah. um, I think that this started with... It might have started with actually the the EP's title itself, because I think that Dan and I both thought God don't make no trash was really funny. And we also thought up your ass with broken glass was like a hilarious thing to call a record. And Mm -hmm. we really couldn't decide. And so we went with like the, the, or, you know, sort of construction. And then as I started naming the songs, all of a sudden, it was just like you kind of fall into that like literary trope, and it becomes hilarious because like mm-hmm. these are some of the most base, stupid song titles of all time. Yeah. But it's still like got that like Dostoevsky and like, like uh, you know like like the hunted or demons in the dark, uh-huh. you know, or like whatever. But but like <laughs> but, but but instead, it's like you know up your ass with broken glass. <laughs> So I think that like it they're, they're, I, I think I'm the way my memory serves is that it was the EP title that we wanted both and we were like we can do both. Why don't fuck it? Like there there's no rules in this band, right. you know? And then um um after that it, you know, I was just kind of off to the races with this shit. So so according to the internet, you did it as a tribute to Rocky and Bullwinkle. Is that just made up? Someone connecting the dots themselves? Yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't even know where to begin with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I've watched Rocky and Bullwinkle. And, I mean, they obviously had, like, a sort of tied to Russian culture with Boris and Natasha and stuff like that. But is 
did they have two titles for all their episodes? I mean, I'm guessing they did. Like, apparently, I'm, yeah. I am just purely speculating here, and um, I mean, that's if I'm like being Sherlock Holmes, that's the route I'm taking, uh-huh. right? It's like Rocky and Bullwinkle, Boris and Natasha, Russian, um, you know, sort of Russian authorship, because yeah, there's something. In, in in Russian literature, it's like the criminal is usually the, the main person, yeah. you know, not the cop, right? right. Uh, so so it, it stands to reason that if that's what they're doing, then, yeah, Boris and Natasha would be naming the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that, actually. You put a lot of logic in there. Um, but but I, I think I've seen that written down somewhere before and i was like what the fuck and then i just like immediately just like dismissed it from my brain as ludicrous but you know as i sit here now and think about it that's that's the closest i could come to telling you what whoever that person is that thought that is going on about or this is also equally likely Danny or I said that in an interview uh, as a fucking complete goof at some point and <laughs> don't remember it at all. <laughs> um, not impossible. Not impossible. So the uh, cover art was done by Heather. Um, no, I believe it was David Holtz. Where did I get Heather? David Holtz. Did I just make that up? Um, well, she did. She did unicornography. That's right. That's right. Yeah, David Holtz did this. He designed that font, or utilized and st- stressed out that font that I think already exists. But you know, he's he made the Falcon look like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I pulled that image on the cover out of a some kind of like like a textbook or something and it is a satellite like above what looks a red planet right Mm -hmm. and um it was sort of a tip of the hat not a tip of the hat because i'm not like the hugest shellac fan um but shellac had that um album cover that was like the huge spaceship yeah kind of like from underneath and i was always like dude there is nothing more punk than just being like, yep, you know what? I mean, because this was before, like, space was, like, back to being cool again and stuff like that, you know? It was, like, it's just seen as such a dorky, like, nerd thing. Uh-huh. And it was kind of like, yeah, let's put a fucking satellite on the cover. Like, who, who's going to fuck with that, you know? <laughs> like, like it's just like, and it's called the Falcon, and there's a fucking satellite. Maybe the satellite's called the Falcon. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, you just like, and and it just seemed like it had like a real good, like theater of the mind potential behind it. And also, I thought it was hilarious. And um, yeah, and then David did that, and uh, I still I still think it's a really cool cover. Terraform is the shellac record. That we're talking about. Also, did, was space was like not cool. Did it go mm-hmm. out of? Mm-hmm. It was like. Uh, see, here's the thing. Now everything that was like 
in 2004. Uh-huh. Dorky stuff was dorky, and cool stuff was cool, and now nerd stuff is cool. Since then, it was like wizard adjacent. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Space. It was like sci-fi. I mean, sci-fi fantasy, whatever. Um, it was like dorky shit, and then it became like embraced ironically, and... Which probably is, if I'm being completely honest, kind of how I was doing it with this cover. Mm-hmm. And then it became embraced genuinely, and then it became sort of like the mainstream cultural um, sort of like touch points, you know? Fucking like, yeah, space and wizards and shit are back, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's fucking 60s and 70s again. Uh, so. Yeah, sp- yeah, but space was like when that show Hack Record came out. I remember being like, "Holy <laughs> fuck!" They put a goddamn spaceship on their record. <laughs> uh, we've also got photos from Ben Assman Pier. Um, I got nothing there. I just wanted to point out that you credited him as Ben Assman Pier. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's great at what he does. <laughs> uh, um yeah that photo we went to um that photo on the back i think is really cool we went to lunch gosh it was somewhere up there by like mm, it was like it was like by the irving park ravens would stop right um yeah i can't remember what exactly the restaurant was or whatever but we came out and they like dug up the street and it was like five feet down, like below the manhole cover. And that's a manhole that we're standing on, Mm -hmm. on on that fucking, on the back cover. And it's just like, yo, let's get up here real fast and take this picture. Cause like, it looks like we're like on a fucking, like a parapet of a trophy or some shit, you know, like it's pretty dope. So So we did that. And I think it turned out pretty well. It looked kind of, has got like a real good, like, end of the world vibe to it yeah totally like oh we're just we just happened upon this but in fact you did we did we just happened upon it yeah all right track number one huffing the proverbial line off the proverbial dong or the blood and the frog yes yes um yeah the first title well the I should start with the second one. The second title is direct reference to a lyric that happens early on in the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's just indicative of the fact that, like, um, this is going to be a very aggressive sounding project. The blood and the frog in my throat. That's, you know, that's what it's, it was about my voice, essentially. But, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the first title is sort of more about thematically what the song's about, which was um, this is a song about like it's like like the Fallen Angel video by Poison or Welcome to the Jungle. It's about like uh-huh. kid from the Midwest goes to L.A. and like you know tries to make it big and kind of like loses sight of themselves and um, you know. 
goes all in on this like new lifestyle that they think they've chosen or whatever. I mean, that's sort of what the song is about. So it's this is a work of fiction, not this um, isn't about anybody in particular. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, I'll say this. Sure. <laughs> uh, this is a this is a song that could be about anyone. <laughs> I'll put it that way. How's that? <laughs> it's such a great first track for the first release for a band called the Fucking Falcon. Just the way yeah, that it I comes mean, in with that first line, that woo. Yeah, you know, I, that woo, maybe more than almost anything, set the tone for what this band would like really become because that was Neil recording his drum track, just screaming woo <laughs> while he was doing it. <laughs> with the full knowledge that like it couldn't be taken out. <laughs> <laughs> Like to get rid of the woo, we'd have to get rid of the drums, you know. Yeah. And and it was like, and that, but that was, and I mean, that still is, you know. Even with like gather up the chaps, that's like the vibe, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like where I'm going, <clears throat> you know. Dave, Dave is like, yo, you like kind of like cleared your throat there. I'm like, oh no, that's like that Eminem song, and he's like, oh, all right, and then like you know. Then all of a sudden he's doing all sorts of crazy shit, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, so it's just like, you just like, it just takes one domino to fall in, uh, when you're like in the studio, like doing a Falcon record. Cause I think that the title of the band is just like, uh, I don't I, like, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like kind of stupid or self-important or even just like untrue, but you know, you behave differently around different people or with different like understandings of what you're doing and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And it's like to get into a band that's called the Falcon, you know, all of a sudden, and then Neil goes, and it's like, okay, I know what to do now. Like, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely like, it's a separate life for the two of you for sure. (laughs) And for Dan and for Todd. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, Todd was in a very, very polished band. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, and I mean, so is Dan. And by this time, we were getting there. Uh-huh. But this is not that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, this song is just like, like, it starts out, and like the first lyric is just. Such a, like, fuck you. Like, it's just, like... And I I don't think people, like, really read it that way. But it's, you can dig what you don't understand, boy. And you don't call anybody boy Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you're really, like, giving too much respect to. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd love to make it very clear that it's not, like, a a racial thing, of course. (laughs) But, like... um, you know, just more like the like the the colloquial boy in songs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like boy, girl, whatever. And um, and like, you know, like when, like if if you take this um, 
this character, you know, coming from the Midwest, going to, uh, you know, going west to seek their fortune and, you know, um, fucking girlfriend from Forrest Gump style, uh, you know, and uh, even though she came from the south, I know. But, um, um, and then being like, yeah, no, I love it here. It's like, yeah, you can dig what you don't understand. <laughs> you know, it's like, like I, I don't know that people like really hear that. Like sometimes it's the only way. And that's like sort of almost like a another reference to like the sort of like, not specifically ass to ass from Requiem for a Dream, but like, the, like, like just getting t- taken through the grist mill of these people that just like want to eat you alive. Like <laughs> take your beautiful Midwestern soul and just like, squeeze every last drop of nectar out of it and see what they can sell from it you know like yeah it's, it's the only way you have to like this because <laughs> otherwise you'd be fucking terrified um you mentioned something a, a couple weeks ago about like the way your vocals used to be like kind of quiet and whispery when you sang yeah. and i can totally feel that here that is very specifically because I recorded this in the living room of my old <laughs> condo and like there was like a small baby living right below me. Mm-hmm. So like I just couldn't sing that loud. <laughs> like um, I, I, there's a lot of like necessity that goes, that goes into this. And I mean like considering like all the like screaming stuff that goes on mm-hmm. on this record as well. Like the kind of like screaming backing vocals. Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny because like I don't think anything gets much louder than like how loud I'm talking right now. The rules, which is hilarious when you consider that like, like on Oak Calcutta on to Skeleton Coast. Like if I sing, it's fucking loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, 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 really loud. Uh, <laughs> So I love the way that things are tracked on here too, though, like, especially just with the first line, like you've got two vocal tracks, one's panned to the left, one's panned to the right, and they're not fully synced up. It's not like you're doing an octave lower or anything like that, but you're just singing it kind of differently. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a lazy double, and that's like, um, I think I've said this before. Um, when we did the slapstick record, um, I feel like when I suggested to everybody that Dan just sing the exact same thing I'm singing, but like. You know, not like doesn't have to match me mm-hmm. terribly well. That they were like, "What do you mean? It's like it's supposed to be a harmony." And I was like, "No, it's got to be like kind of like the Beastie Boys, you know? Like you just like." And, and I'm not saying that I came up with that in punk rock because that's obviously crazy talk, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't very common. And like um, to the point where like people that were like really like punk rock aficionados, like Matt Stamps, were like, "That that's not that's not how it's done." Yeah. You know, and then, and I was kind of like, well, let's try it. And like, we tried it. And then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, that beefs up that line. And I mean, now obviously it's a ubiquitous thing. And again, 
I mean, I it would be crazy if that was like the first time that shit went on. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was necessarily at all, but um, like, um, but it just like it was sort of became like our thing because it was like um, in slapstick because it was unusual for the time, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not talking about in a chorus. I'm talking about like a like a line in the verse here and there, right. you know. And um, even though in choruses people weren't really like not singing harmonies, you know, it was always like, it's always harmonies. But, um, so like when we got back to this, first of all, I had to double my vocals so they would sound good because I was like recording them on like a shitty fucking eight track in my living room. Uh And so to double the vocals, it gives it like, I, like I've said, I think like maybe last week or the week before, like the slightest semblance of like what, like, um, like chorus Mm -hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Which kind of like softens up the edges, you know, um, in terms of if your note is right about there, mm-hmm. it like makes it sound a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that, but but I feel like you're doubling on on this song and a lot of these songs is not in the same one to one as you do in other projects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there's there's a lot going on there. Uh, first of all, again, just the limitations of the um, budgets and um, resources, for lack of a better uh, term, mm-hmm. and also just the attitude of it. You know? Yeah. Or it's just like, because like we also didn't know like what was going to happen with this shit. It's like, is anybody going to buy this fucking EP? It's like goofy as hell it's got a ridiculous name it's got a satellite on the cover and it's like yeah i mean i know that people like uh your two guys bands but like, <laughs> like, um i love the groove that the bass is in on the song yeah he, i mean stan andriano what are you gonna do not gonna yeah fucking play a bad bass line that guy you know um it's really good to like that's one of the great things i think about this ep is that it's done with like like slapped together with like chewing gum and string and then um at the same time these musicians are so talented that's like that's fine yeah it, it doesn't really make much of a difference you know, mm-hmm. like if if you've got a good song and you've got good musicians playing it, boom, it could be recorded in a fucking box. You know, this is like memorable part after memorable part after memorable part. There's the, there's no <laughs> chorus, but there's four pieces of like what could function as a chorus. Yeah, I mean. um Yeah, the where aware aware part is like sort of as much as that woo was the mission statement for like how the Falcon would behave, uh that where aware aware was like to me the mission statement of how the Falcon would sound. Like that was where I was like, Oh yeah, this like this is fucking just sneering. Yeah. You know? Like where aware did you get that stupid shit eating grin that you wear? Like the <laughs> Again, pretty fucking rude. 
but um, but yeah, so like, and then like, and I, I think that part is like pretty bombastic, and I was uh, very excited about that. I still I still like it a lot, and um, and then it gets to the next part, which is like totally bizarre because it's just the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we're going like, (laughs) which like for the time, unusual for a band like this, I guess still pretty unusual for a band like this. But, um, and it's just like with all this fucking, I mean, this is like pretty inside the actor's studio shit. Um, but for all the the talk of like, you know, getting like, like selling your soul to be doing whatever it is that you're doing, um, and then you get behind the velvet ropes and the curtain, mm-hmm. you're not even sniffing coke, you're sipping cokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean this song is mean. It's a mean song. <laughs> it's a very mean song. <laughs> I'm so happy I could just cry myself to sleep, or the routes we wander. Yeah, this one reappeared on um, Unicornography, and this is a very literary song. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that it's like, like slow, like kind of clash esque ska, mm-hmm. and um, that the lead riffs are all on an acoustic guitar for some reason, which I think is really funny. Um, this is almost like mood wise a Lawrence Arms song. Yeah, I mean, because it's pretty like. Literary minded, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's um, it's I mean, sweaty. It's, yeah, but I mean, it's you know, it's about. I mean, it's about fucking ship captains, whores, thieves, drifters, the lunar eye. You know, like <laughs> nightmares. So, Um, I read, I guess, especially with the track that follows, I felt like I read a little bit more autobiography in this song than I did when we talked about unicornography. um, Well, it's definitely autobiographical in terms of, like, the... I'm talking thematically versus, like, I mean... Yes, this is a metaphor for being on tour, mm-hmm. of course. You know, like, um, and, you know, come to life is, that's when you finally have that drink that gets you back to zero, and you feel like all uh, your endorphins, like, fire at the same time, and you're like, oh. And that's what we'd always call it. It was like, oh, I just came to life. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and... um and I like, yeah, I, I mean, like on the, on the very, like, if you strip away, like the sort of like florid, like pseudo literary, like, um, connotations or whatever, um, 
Yeah, it's about fucking. I mean, the captain. It's just whoever's steering your destiny or whatever, right? And you have bad dreams because you drink too much, and you're hanging out with all these idiots. And then you, yeah, here you are, wandering the same routes in and out of the bar, back home, bad dreams. Then you come to life again. Then you're back out there mm-hmm. doing it again. You know? Yeah, this has like I could see, I could see any one of you like waking up in a house in Spokane just being like Captain's dreams were bad last night <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean yeah like that's like yes if you strip away the metaphor that's what the song is about for sure I mean that is not a that's not an obscure phrase among my circle of people mm-hmm. like I, I'm coming to life like that's for real <laughs> Um, look, Ma, no fans, or do you want fries with these songs? This one's a little tough. I think it's the the only one of the five where it's tough to decipher which one is really the song title. Yeah, um, I think look, Ma, no fans is what I always go with. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm, uh... I don't know that we've ever played this on live, actually. Um, Why is that? I don't know. I mean, we must have. We must have. Um, I think there's more interesting stuff to play. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I like, I like this one. I feel like it holds down an important spot in the catalog. Um, I, I just don't know that. We've got, you know, 13 songs. If this is one of the 13, I would pick. Yeah. Uh, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, this is like... This is being in a punk rock band living in a van. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, totally. Like, there's nothing like... This is like the updated, less poetic version of tour song by jawbreaker mm-hmm. you know but i just but, feel like there's so much of the like i don't know i you know not to get like too in the weeds with where your head's at but you know hearing about like greatest story era tour stories and shit like that just these years of that's i mean that's exactly that's exactly where like the inspiration for this is mm-hmm. it's just like you know and like just back then, I mean, up until the end of the Ocalcutta cycle, it was just like, that was all we did. Like, we lived in a van, you know? Like, I didn't even get an apartment at all, at all. Um, my parents, I didn't live with them since I was 18, but until 2001, which I was... 18 and 95. Wow. You know, so, so, and, and then by 2001, I was never there anyway, but it's just my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, you know, she, uh, needed a place to live. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
I mean, like we toured all the time and it did like it did nothing. And it was just like, yeah, it was like, hey, yep, see you in a month. Okay. You know, like our fans would be like, yeah, we missed you this time. But, you know, whatever. We'll see you in like three weeks. Right. And it was just like really disheartening. And it was like, but we only have five fans. You know, like we have to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And like it was just like this hamster wheel that we were on. And uh, this song is, I think, very much. Um, not only inspired by that, but um, a good representation of how that feels because the other part of it is as much as you hate it, like if it's a young man's game. And if you're a young man and you're out there doing that, it's great. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, yeah, this sucks. Fuck this town. Fuck you. We're awesome. You're wrong. Here we go. Okay. On to the next town, you know, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, every, every day is a new adventure, you know, and and everything that you do the day before, I mean, especially back then, because it was, like, sort of pre, uh, like, the internet and cell phones and shit like that. Not 2004, but, like, in the early Lawrence Arms days and stuff. Mm-hmm. Even 2004 was pretty obscure, but um, you left the town and that shit was over. Yeah, <laughs> like they just, you know, maybe somebody like the next time you come through, somebody'd be like, "Man, you pissed on my couch," <laughs> but maybe they just wouldn't show up, and then it never happened. You know, uh, <laughs> that one. <laughs> while my Taco Bell is shooting right on through me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there is a, um, a dedication to verite storytelling in this one that uh <laughs> not often seen um i've come to like rely on something like this a lot more as things progressed right um like in all my projects uh probably started i think with less respect than a juggalo in greatest story Mm -hmm. where it was just like straight up like this is how i feel and it's kind of funny and so i'm just gonna go with it and treat it like a very serious line yeah um like before that it would just like you know there's like snarky shit going on on the first like all the first releases or whatever but it wasn't quite the same as what started to develop after that like sort of point and you know by the time I mean, there's a lot of funny shit, like on this, even on Oak Calcutta, even on fucking uh, Butt, Sweat, and Tears. Believe it or not, there's funny shit on Butt, Sweat, and Tears. Um, You know, of course, like the two Falcon LPs and the two Wandering Birds LPs, it's like like the whole attitude just becomes a lot more playful and like, this isn't the most artfully rendered thing I've ever done. But, and, and like, I... That line, it, maybe that line is the reason that we don't play it very often, but it was an important um, sort of milestone for me to get past, I think. Yeah, because I feel like you, I, it's like, it's like your your whole personality goes into your lyric writing now, whereas... It used to be like, oh, I couldn't say that in a song. Maybe I could say it 
in between songs. Right. But that's a like totally manufactured line. Right. And yeah, um, you know, it's like one of my very best friends, she's like, her kids are friends with my kids. And the first time she ever came and saw us, she was like, I was so scared that you were going to get up there and be some kind of weird dork. And you're just the exact same person up there that you are down here. I, it was such a relief to me. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not. And I think I've said this before, so I'm sorry for repeating myself, but I was like, I'm not, uh, I'm not like good enough at whatever that would be to have like a whole other personality. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, this is what I got. And it's just like, finally, getting comfortable enough to like be like okay i could just be me all the time i mean it's uh you know we live in an age of self-discovery and actualization or whatever right that's like what 2013 to now has been right Mm. like personal branding self-discovery actualization kind of shit where like you're very important oh you're beautiful you know whatever your thing is uh-huh. like you know mm-hmm. this which used to marginalize you now makes you beautiful um this which used to make me embarrassed now empowers mm-hmm. me this which used to be awkward is now what i put on a sign that i sort of uh figuratively carry above my head to let people know what i'm all about like you know and um i don't know i started all that no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but um like i i don't know i like um i think there's like a i think that for there's a lot of that going on where it's like people go all in on stuff and like they mistake like i'm really into punk so like I'll dress punk and act punk and listen to punk records and everything I do is punk Mm -hmm. for like a true definitive identity. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, like who you are, like, that's not, that's not who you are. That's what you like, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, you could, you could be like, Nope, what I like is who I am. It's like, no, what you are is somebody that wants to define yourself by what you like rather than look at yourself at all and figure out who you actually are. Uh, you know, there's like, it's not like really that hard to like, to fucking parse the difference when it like comes down to it. And, you know, for me, it took, I think just getting older and getting to a certain point where I was like, I just don't have the time to like (laughs) fucking not just be like exactly me all the time. Like, it's just like, fuck this. Mm -hmm. You know, like, ooh, like if I, what, I'm not going to be able to get a job? I can't get a job now. Fuck it. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Take my fucking film school degree and, like, walk down to Bear Stearns. It's not happening anyway. So, like, <laughs> you know. So, I think, I think for me, it was just age. And I think that there's a lot of, that's why there's a lot of fucking cool-ass old people. Because they get to a certain point and they're like, I just don't fucking get it. I don't get it. And that's all there is to it. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. I don't get it. I don't care. This is what I'm into. Bring me the scotch, honey. (laughs) (laughs) 
God, you managed to become even even handsomer in the in the last five seconds of this podcast. It's crazy. Yeah, well, I don't know how that's possible because, well, I mean, I guess it's easily possible since I was not very handsome five seconds ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I got one more question to ask you about look ma no fans and that's yeah in reference to the last line of the song here's to the apathetics punishers and friends punishers is a term that i became aware of in maybe like 2011 2012 and i said oh no that's me i'm the guy who's like Dude, I love that song. Well, here's the thing. It's a very um, hard to parse um, demarcation, right? Because the thing is that um, people that are enthusiastic aren't always punishers and punishers don't always give a shit about your band mm -hmm. um it, it, like uh, a punisher is not something that's uh, unique to um being somebody in a popular band and dealing with an overzealous fan that in fact overzealous fans are sometimes like really fun to be around mm -hmm. like i i love the enthusiasm that people um, sort of contain and exude when they are that excited, you know, that's fine. That not does a punisher make man. Um, mm -hmm. The thing is that like it, you've had a punisher in your study group. You've had a punisher in your high school class. You've had a punisher that was the fellow barista with you. It's like anybody that just like kind uh -huh. of burgles your time and sits there and talks about something that like you don't give a fuck about and is completely oblivious to the notion that you might possibly not give a fuck about this. That's a punisher, mm. right? Uh, mm. Like it, it is not like I, I saw um, actually my friend, Justin George, and I know he listens to this uh, Australian homie. He wrote something on Facebook that was like, the term Punisher is elitist bullshit. And Justin George, no, fuck you, wrong. Uh, anybody can be a Punisher. Like, I could be a Punisher to you, man. Like, uh, uh, there's Punishers everywhere. Like, mm -hmm. Chris and I call them life Punishers when it's like, Ooh, don't go in that gas station. Life Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, but like, uh, the, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, um, it is fucking not our term. We did not invent it. I think that we really did popularize it. Um, I, I mean, the, the Lawrence Arms Falcon greater community or whatever, like mm -hmm. it's a term that's now like in 
wide use everywhere. Mm-hmm. And to just be like, we popularized it is almost as dumb as what I said earlier. <laughs> well, whatever the fuck else I said I did first. Oh, doubling lyrics. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I did all this. Also, um, saying not after stuff, I, uh, when you mean the opposite, I did that too. Uh, so like, I'm aware that like what I'm saying all sounds like bullshit. But I think that we did, we started talking about Punishers like pretty overtly. And mm-hmm. when we learned about Punishers, it was from less than Jake, but they said it in like really hushed tones, which you can imagine less than Jake probably has some pretty bad Punishers. And their vibe is pretty, um, I don't know what you want to say, Disney plus. So like <laughs> they, they probably have to, like not talk about the Punishers at all, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a, a secret thing. But they didn't make that up either. They learned it from the same people we learned it from, which is Friends of Rom, who hmm. uh, are an Australian band. They're like the no effects of Australia. Okay. They're not extraordinarily popular in North America, but we've done tours with them in Australia and they are... Um, to reuse a few words, extraordinarily popular in Australia, and uh, and and they uh, and they are some of the most clever people you'll ever meet in your life. Um, just smart, witty, funny, acerbic, um, unbelievable with their uh, ribald wit or whatever and i believe that they are the people that made up the term punishers Mm. in in the way that it exists now in the sort of like subcultural lexicon and uh i i stand by that like i I'd, i'd like to see evidence that i'm wrong but yeah good cultural history lesson there Track number four, Feed the Monkey, Drown the Worm, or Going Home. This is, to me, this is the sleeper of the EP. This is the song where I feel like so much branches off of this in your own creativity. I think that it wouldn't be a complete inaccuracy to say that this is the sleeper in my entire career well this is one of the best songs i've ever written i think and um and i love it head to toe and it is kind of unusual in terms of it's just the it's got that kind of like against me-ish thing that like I don't really usually like because it's like hard to vibe with. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that kind of like... Yeah. No, but it's not that, even that. that it's like... Strumming like, pattern. Right? But like it... Um, I love this one. I mean, this is... Yeah, this is the first Wandering Bird song, isn't it? Like, 
it's it's just like I think in a lot of ways, yeah. It's just like it's all getting born here, and um, I I don't know. I really like this one, and it's funny like <laughs> when Todd did the guitar solo on the way out, and I was like, "Damn, dude, that's like." some next level weirdness and then we got it mixed and he goes oh i just realized my guitar wasn't in tune i did that <laughs> <laughs> and i thought that he was just like he was like being like you know like kirk hammett like dissonant on purpose or whatever yeah it was he broke into the rise against practice space to do this and he uh didn't have time to tune his guitar and, and, and I mean like it created a pretty cool thing I bet it would have been cooler if it was in tune but at the time like I'm like fairly naive dude and you know like I was like oh yeah man this is a cool like dissonant take on this <laughs> but mm -hmm. so it's like can never be replicated really because that guitar yes. who knows it could who really knows honestly never been never be replicated but this is one that i always insisted on playing when even in the um the latest iteration of the falcon which was dave haas um and danny and neil obviously um this is one that I was always like, well, we, of course we play this. And I mean, like, I even know how to play that guitar solo. <laughs> like, and it's such a, like, silly, like, my first guitar solo, but all my guitar solos are like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason that they're all like that is because um, there's something to be said for that most basic sort of stratum of notes that exist within a key. And that's why that's the first scale you learn. And you, you can make and like, that can be like super emotionally resonant. And it's like, I'm never going to go, you know, like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm never going to like do like a Mixolydian run. That's like on a uh, 32nd of a second scale, like, you know, timeline right. or whatever. Uh, this is a great example of like this and then like when you go on to like unicornography uh and lazy boy 500 that guitar solo there and these are both guitar solos done on an acoustic guitar over an electric background so. mm -hmm. i feel like that just like adds uh an extra layer to that feeling of like the the rudimentary scale that you're working with there's something about just having it on an acoustic guitar where it feels very like 
Yeah, it's like we're not no pulling any. Destroyed. We're really not pulling anything in there. We're not even uh-huh. doing electricity with this. Yes. <laughs> so where did you record the acoustic guitars for? Uh, this? I'm ninety percent positive it was in my living room. Mm-hmm. Um, like this was all done like very remotely and. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't have a distinct memory of that, but I don't feel like I took my shitty Epiphone into Atlas Studios to go boo doo ding doo doo ding ding uh-huh. ding 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 you know? So, yeah, I was in my living room. Is the beginning of it like is that on your uh Roland or is that process uh, with some well, all the vocals are on my Roland. Um isn't the beginning uh, an electric guitar? It's uh no, it sounds very like hissy. Oh, yeah. I'm thirsty. Oh lord, I'm so thirsty. Uh, yeah, um it might it dude i don't i don't remember anymore um the yeah the subtleties of this one are like a little bit lost but all i do know is that of all these songs this is my favorite one by far like this is one of my favorite songs i've ever written mm-hmm. like probably top five period wow um and uh I mean, I just, I gotta get back to that city. Yeah! Get back to pounding that beat. Hoo! Like, I, I love that moment. That's like, to me, it just sounds like, like, like Scorsese's taxi driver in New York, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, like, I'm talking about Chicago, obviously, but like that same, like, green light fucking neon backed up red traffic light yeah like like uh, brake lights rather you know that kind of shit just the uh, way it kind of bounces off of the glass it, yeah it just feels cool to me man this this song feels cool to me and it's I mean, it's a real mission statement like you said for what will go on to become a real um, jumping off point for what my uh, future projects would end up becoming. Mm-hmm. I love um, the... Go ahead. No, it's just like, it's a surprisingly important song for one that's like uh, sort of a little bit obscure. That's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. For sure. I... I feel like, and it might just be the way, or it, it might just be that it's in a similar key, um, but the like crossover with this and like a record player is, I don't know. I've, I've found that to be kind of charming as if like, like a record player was kind of answering to this. Oh, well, um, that's funny. I feel like this particular song is very isolationist and like um, 
I guess I really do like sort of think of Taxi Driver when I think of this song because I was gonna say like it's like a real Travis Bickley like yo I'm just so thirsty whatever like I, this fucking jungle around me mm-hmm. fuck you know and, and like I'll I'll do all my looking ahead. you know what I'll fucking deal with this after I die um, and. Like a record player is very different. It's a very much a celebration of life. Mm-hmm. So I think that they're very different, but this does have the bounce that would eventually come to, um, you know, inform like a record player and like how that would, would go. Mm-hmm. It's, this is this is a lot more straightforward. I mean, you know, it's a lot more like four on the floor, just like, right? Yeah. Like a record player, it's like, you know, like, uh, so there, I mean, there's there's a, a difference there, but I mean, I, I suppose that there is a case to be made that this was a skeleton for that. Um, Thematically, I don't think they could be more different. Like this is this is like a Travis Bickle song. I like I've never really thought about it that way before. I just always thought about it as like a sort of general nihilism song. But mm-hmm. you know, I guess Travis Bickle <laughs> just got promoted from major nihilism to general nihilism. <laughs> I mean, that movie kind of does take place in the last days of disco, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that any of those things come up. I mean, I mm-hmm. that I don't think about Taxi Driver when I talk about my songs very often. Right. This song is a Taxi Driver influence song, for sure. Oh, yeah. All right, building the perfect asshole parade or scratching off the fleas. This was also re-recorded for Unicornography. Makes sense. This is a great track. Yeah, um, what can I say about this one? Um, I didn't think it was very good when I wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. I did it and I was like uh, and then I mean, like yeah I, I did like the we got it going on part and I thought that that was like really like bombastic and pretentious and presumptuous and stuff like that but it would be uh easy to overlook those things because we were just like a shitty band of scrubs that were recording in like uh, practice spaces we broke into you know like um, and but I didn't know that I loved this song like So I added all the woes into it. Whoa, whoa. And I mean, like, 
and it was sort of like really revelatory. It was like, oh man, you know what? Like if you write like cool words and you kick it into something that's like supposed to be liked as like Mm -hmm. a chorus or a, a thing, and then just fucking plug in something that people can latch on to if you're trying to be a little too um sorry to use this word again esoteric uh yeah you know like it, the the chorus there's a smell in the air that rose over the city today it's fire and it's thick and it ain't going away is not like the most sing-along chorus but whoa whoa mm-hmm. whoa whoa is you know and it it was it it was a quick learning curve for me yeah like i put that in almost as a like we had just recently toured uh the lawrence arms had with anti-flag we had just recently toured with uh against me uh both bands that while they would hate both to admit it share a lot in common definitely um, and um and they both utilize woes and o's um as a choral practitioner i suppose i would say um woes and o's as a choral practitioner i suppose <laughs> what's up baby it's time to go back to my house with the rest of you hoes um okay uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> But the thing, I told you freestyle rapping used to be my thing mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and it's still part of the falcon uh, story um so anyway um that totally tracks though because it's like apathy and exhaustion you were writing choruses you really like went into that structure mm-hmm. but those choruses are you know they're a lot different than the ones that are here and definitely on old calcutta oh yeah and you know the thing is like with this so i think i was doing this a little bit with it in mind that like todd and dan were in the band and i was like these are dudes that are in bands with like a lower threshold for what bullshit is with no offense to mm-hmm. those bands, but like, you know, like uh, they were right. We were wrong, <laughs> by the way. Right. Like, right. <laughs> I, I don't mean to say like, we were smarter. We were dumber because they're the ones that don't work anymore. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, but like, um, you know, and I was like, man, I can do some woes in this shit. Like, this is a chorus. I don't know if it's that good. But if I go, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. maybe it could work out. And these dudes understand because they're in some fucking woe bands. You right, know? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, we did it and it worked out. And then, like, at that point, I kind of was like, holy fuck. And I, I, we've talked about this on the podcast because I've seen 
a listener respond to us about this, which was that because I was such a, you know, Fat Mike was a good friend of mine and also it, it still is mm-hmm. and a hero and a mentor and everything. But when he put out that seven inch and they had that song that was Woe on the Woes. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like making fun of AFI for doing woes all the time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we can't do woes. Woes are bad. Right. And that was like around the apathy. And then that went through um, through Great Story. And then during this, which is called The Falcon up your ass with broken glass i was like we're breaking all the rules and i was like oh no woes how about tons of woes you know like let's just see what happens Mm -hmm. and then i was like oh no woes are great and so like by the time okalkota happened i was like well there's gonna be woes but Mm -hmm. They'd better be intelligent woes. Intelligent woes, man. It could be the name of my biography. <laughs> <laughs> Probably spelled W-O-E-S. Though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> On this tree of... Um, so when this record... When this EP came out, what was the... What was the reception? I feel like I don't really recall the immediate reception, but there was clearly a positive one. There was no reception, Tim. It was like, it was an EP recorded haphazardly in basements, put out by a label no one's ever heard of before mm-hmm. and it it just sort of started to exist like there there was no apparatus for it to even become a thing you know mm-hmm. like we didn't have a publicist I mean uh, I think our dear friend Vanessa who's the Red Scare publicist um, former and maybe current still Fat Rack publicist um, helped us a little bit but like it it was very hard to it's weird like if you've done anything ever to get like anybody to like pick up a media bead on you you yep. basically need to like throw your wife down the stairs or uh like do something just absolutely ridiculous because mm-hmm. like dudes that have done something pretty well for a long time do something pretty well again isn't much of a story yeah so it's like everybody would rather be like Oh, the the arcade lizards are fucking the greatest band you've never heard. 
rather than like this band you already like did something else that you'll really like yeah <laughs> you know oh and and totally in 2004 this was like the blog rock era yeah so you know it's um hold on one second okay Um, so yeah, sorry, but the, uh, so it's really hard. I mean, even with like a super group, mm-hmm. it's like, we were all already like, I mean, that's the thing. Like I cashed my check when I was 16, everybody loved Brendan Kelly vocalist for this firebrand new you know, the second coming of Operation Ivy, uh, 16-year-old kid. Uh-huh. By the time I was, like, recording the first shift for the Lawrence, I was just like, ah, this old man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been, we've been reporting on him for a decade. You, right. you know, you know? And, and, like, it, it, which is not to say, nah, you know what, fuck journalists entirely no offense to you personally but like um but the the thing is that like it's it's a hard thing to to talk about for me because like i do like the thoughtful um sort of nuance that a music journalist gives to parsing a record or whatever and listening to the output and i don't believe well i guess i do believe that you know twitter feed is enough to like make or break something but like i personally i guess probably if i'm being like totally honest for like my own ego like to hear somebody that wants to like intellectualize what i do um and like actually try to get behind it a little Mm -hmm. bit or like not behind it in terms of like supporting it but get into it you know and really like unpack it and 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 that uh is probably like an equally jurassic egotism that i should leave behind because maybe that's not the way the world works anymore but like I do like it. I do like to read a thoughtful review, whether it's good or bad, where somebody actually like digs in to the material. And I think that what happens now is that there's OMG, Y, A, 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 S, 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 heart, eye, smiley face dope album followed by this third face is uh, terrible <laughs> you know like and, and like it, which is fine but i mean if that's the level of discourse that's happening right now but like i i do just purely because you know of the era i come from i i miss the discourse that's 
even a little more uh, intellectual, even if I disagree with it strongly, you know? And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I say that with the absolute understanding that I'm in a band that went from being completely shit on by the press to being beloved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now, now it is real easy for me to say, yeah, no, I love the press. Like, <laughs> you know, talking about records because everybody's really nice to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's like 20 years. Uh, and, and for a long time, hated it. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. One question that everybody listening, I'm sure, is begging for us to ask, and I will follow your lead on it. What happened with Todd? Um, Without getting too far into it, he and his wife got into a thing and um, his wife um, said some things about Todd that weren't cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's the way I put it. And she called my wife and I was like, because Todd came over to my house after this happened because he was mm-hmm. bummed because it was a, it was a bad scene and I'm mm-hmm. like, do not talk to her do not talk to her just just don't answer the phone and my wife is like a, I mean she's a firebrand man like like you, asking her not to start shit is like asking a fucking you know, asking Saturn not to have rings, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just, and asking Falcon not to go, who? Yes, right. God damn it. And next thing you know, they're yelling at each other, and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, no, 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 no. And next thing you know, I didn't see Todd for 10 years. That's it. Uh, <laughs> like, so, um, I mean, like, I don't want to get into what was going on with them. It's not my business, but there's definitely a part of the Kelly house that had something to do with the Falcon not being like the unique, um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't the unique vision that we thought it was after that. You know? Couldn't be. Sometimes external factors force evolution. Get him right. Um, appreciate you sharing that with me and with everyone listening. Yeah. In fairness, um, I don't want to imply that Todd or his ex-wife or my wife did anything wrong it was just a terrible misunderstanding or 
Just bad scene. I guess probably not misunderstanding. Bad scene. Yeah. I could see just wanting to step out back. Maybe smoke a few cigarettes, even if you haven't smoked in a long time. Like, all right. Out of my hands. Yeah. No, that, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, buddy. Brandon. This has been the Falcon. This has been the Falcon. This has been Road to the Skeleton Coast. It is our podcast, and we do it every week, except for next week. We're taking the week off sometimes. You just gotta take a little vacay, and that's we're gonna what we're gonna do. We're gonna come back in two weeks, and we're gonna talk about news from Yalta. I'm making oh, yeah? the call this time. Damn girl, that's great. Um, I'll have to listen to that again because I don't really know much about that shit. Um, we also need to talk about those uh first slapstick songs. We never did that. We do need to do that. We will do that. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich, where we've got conversations with Falcon members such as Dan Andriano and Dave Haas. We had a really great one with Brian Moss that we talked about earlier in the episode. Check out that new Hanalei record. It is out right now. It's called Black Snow. It is fantastic. And we've also got some Lawrence Arms demos that we've been posting over on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Better Sandwich. We will see you all in two weeks. We look forward to it. Bye, everybody. Later, babies. There's something in the air today. Major worries that they melt away. There's something in the air today. Major worries that they melt away. There's something in the air today.